I'm Jason Martin, and this is the Black Voices from Big Brown podcast. These are the untold stories of African-Americans at UPS, and I'm proud and excited to be a part of the team of executives at UPS headquarters in Atlanta, Georgia, that conceived the idea to record the stories of some of the first black folks that UPS ever hired and learn about their journey to success. In these interviews, you're going to hear firsthand the accounts of real UPS trailblazers, black people that entered the UPS world at different times and places in history, and how they prevailed in a white dominated country and company. Our current CEO, Carol B. Tomei, has said the following, no one is safe until we are all safe. And we know there's no place in any community anywhere in the world for racism, bigotry, or hate. We will not stand quietly or idly on the sidelines of this issue. This statement and this goal began with our black voices from Big Brown honorees. Listen to these voices, for they are the message. They are the foundation for the future of racial equity at not only UPS, but at companies all over the world. When asked to host this series, to introduce and provide some topical insight into black voices from Big Brown, untold stories of African-Americans at UPS, my very first question was, why me? And for the longest, I didn't have an answer. Then I sat through some of and listened to the other interviews of the honorees, and the reason hit me so hard, I almost had to package my senses up and ship them back to myself just so I could get it together. The beginning of these epic stories, all true just to let you know ahead of time, echo the beginning of my own story with UPS. There were those who would be barriers and those who would help you either get over, under, or around those barriers or just simply demolish them. And I do mean that figuratively for the most part. But for those of you listening, and I hope you choose to share this podcast series with others, I can almost without a doubt guess you're asking yourself a bigger series of why questions. Why now? Why this? Why is this important? Why should it matter? Why am I even listening to this? I hope I can answer your whys. Most important, I hope your whys change to why nots as this series progresses. For those of you who aren't UPSers, just remove UPS and insert your workplace as you envision the stories you will hear during this epic series. The experiences you will hear about could have very well happened in any organization or corporation at one point or another, even to you. What do you know about being the first at everything? First child, first woman, first African-American. Yvonne Cooper Epps is an explorer a barrier-breaking pioneer with all eyes on her from the moment she stepped into the world and stepped to take the helm of the UPS Foundation as the first person of color and the first woman, continuing a legacy of first. Want to be first? Listen to Yvonne and learn. Welcome to Black Voices from Big Brown. These are the untold stories of African-Americans at UPS. Pioneers who rose above societal and corporate prejudice to achieve the highest levels of success. Yvonne Cooper Epps admits to Black Voices being taken aback by the good old boy network at UPS when she started. She saw very few people who looked like her 
but this former teacher in the Detroit school system saw potential in the core values of the company. Her value became apparent when she was named the first African-American female to serve as president of the UPS Foundation. I'm April Nelson. On this edition of Black Voices from Big Brown, we welcome the legendary Yvonne Cooper Epps. How are you? I am doing wonderful. Thank you for being here. You look beautiful. Thank you. So we like to start by taking everybody back to the beginning. It was 1974, right? Okay, so in the world at that time, some firsts by at least one African-American was happening. Baseball great Hank Aaron, that is the year that he broke Babe Ruth's home run record. Meanwhile, Muhammad Ali was in Zaire for the Rumble in the Jungle, where he knocked out George Foreman in the eighth rounds to regain the heavyweight title, while Miss Yvonne Cooper at that time was putting on her boxing gloves to start her career at UPS. <laughs> And it's funny that you say that, April, because I was in that era of first. Yes. All my life, I have been a first. You know, I'm the oldest of four children, and then I was the first in terms of going to college, you name it, stepping out into the world. I've always been a first, so that seems to be my mantra. And at the time, you just thought, well, this is what I got to do, right? So did we find you in 1974, or did you find us? Well, fate and circumstances, I found UPS. In 1974, I actually was in the process, I had been a school teacher, teaching in Detroit, and I was in the process of going back to college. And so therefore, I found UPS because of being a part-time job. And a part-time job turned into a gratifying career. So what was it about teaching that made you decide to give it up? I already knew before I even had my first teaching job, because I was teaching in Detroit, Michigan, and that was combat war. So needless to say, my whole goal was to go back, work on my master's, and be a college professor. And um, during that transition, I decided that, you know, the teaching really aspect is not for me. I wanted to be part of something greater. And so what were your early days like at UPS? <laughs> well, my early days at UPS, obviously there were very few people that looked like me in terms of ethnicity and gender. In Lansing, Michigan, East Lansing. East Lansing, Michigan, absolutely. And, um, you know, when I first started, it was interesting, when I first, I started in a clerical position, and then it was funny because they were hesitant, the UPS was kind of hesitant from hiring me, at least the HR folks. And they said that I was, uh, believe it at this time, I had too much education. And so, but I learned later because I had been a teacher and teachers were prone to unionize, they were really concerned about me coming in to unionize the clerical workforce. Got it, got it, got it. So there's nobody who looks like you, or very few, and how are you navigating that? You know, I navigated it by really creating my, my own survival tactics. Hmm. Tell us about that. Well, you know, in terms of, 
going back to what we were saying earlier in terms of being a first, I've always had the opportunity, there were opportunities that were afforded in front of me, but being a woman and being African American, you always had to be, taste two steps ahead just to stay even. So knowing that, I focus more on what my priorities are, were, what my goals were, and then how do I navigate through, and, and I never lost my authentic self. I think that also helps in terms of navigating through the, and, and I knew what I was up against. I mean, I think that was the other thing. Mm -hmm. So you're saying you never lost your authentic self. That is almost a startling thing to hear because today <laughs> we talk about the desire to bring your authentic self to work, you know, and, and even in 20. 20, almost 2021, a lot of people struggle with that. Well, you know, I think that was probably the one thing that drew me to UPS because I could still have an embrace. They mirrored the same core values that I had, that I grew up with. Hard work, uh, honesty, integrity. And so for that reason, it was e easy for me to be my authentic self because we share the same values. Hmm. How important is it to people who are looking for a company to have a career with that those values align. It's very important. But you know, sometimes the values may not be there, but you have to be the one that maybe help instill those values. Yeah, so you're in a company that's predominantly male and white male. Mm -hmm. You said it was a good old boys network. Mm -hmm. How did you navigate and what were some examples you can think well, of? Well, I navigated because I developed the tenacity. And I think the biggest thing is I, I, I did what I call the wax on your back syndrome. I just let it roll off. Really? Absolutely, absolutely. What job were you in when you were letting the, the wax off your back? All the time. Were you on the preload? Were you, you know, a driver? Were well, you I wasn't, no, I wasn't, I wasn't preload, I was driving. I was basically in staff position. Staff position, mm -hmm. okay. Staff position, but going back and forth with responsibilities in the hub, in the preload, but being staff in operator environment. Got it. So it's almost like you're, you know, you still got to deal with the guys. A absolutely. Absolutely. Can Absolutely. you can you think of one incident that stands out that happened early on in terms of them challenging not only your authority as uh, you know a staff person? Well, you know, I can recall uh, in one particular time, you know, we we, you d we had to do audits of the hub, and so therefore I had a partner, male partner, that did not know how to drive the package car and all the time is, but he was good at wanting to do the paperwork. And so I would cover up for him because I would go and move the vehicle and then we would do the audits. And then the center manager would come in and give him an attaboy. And he would just like be sitting up. Finally, I said, excuse me, you're not the one that, you're not the one that can actually move the vehicle. Long story short, I kind of checked him. <laughs> Wax off your back. What does that mean? Or did I get that right? You know right? what? You did get it. It's not. It's, it's called not taking it personal. Mm -hmm. Not taking it personal. Because when I found when you take it personal, it breaks you down. And I never wanted to break down. And if I broke down, I was not going to let them see it. So does that translate into just ignore them? 
Well, no, tolerate them, not ignore them. Because if you ignore them, it just makes it worse. But if you tolerate them and learn how to play the game. You gotta break down the game. Give you gotta an break example. down the game. What, give me an example of a little game they used to play with Yvern. Mm. Well, that's a good question. There were several games that were played, but you know, you just didn't know. They weren't so obvious. I think that was the main thing. They were not so obvious. Subtle games. Subtle games. I mean, did somebody, I don't know, leave something weird in your locker or, or when you came out to do the audit, you know, they talked to you in an inappropriate way? I mean, can you Well, think you of know, there were always, being in a male environment and being in the hub, there were always inappropriate gest gestures. You know, just kind of rose above. And you had to check them. So if you checked them, they wouldn't happen again, at least not in front of your face. So that's a very good point because, you know, hashtag me too, you have all of these sexual harassment things happening. And, you know, not, I know that those situations happen, but like you and I were talking earlier, we used an example of bullies know who to pick on. Mm -hmm. And I guess I'm asking, to, for you to maneuver in a world of men and you say you would check them and then they wouldn't bother you anymore. For a woman, how important is that to keep things under control? It's extremely important because if you don't keep things under control, they will control you. So um, that became your persona and, and how you managed throughout your career, yeah? Absolutely, absolutely. That was being my authentic self. <laughs> like, Yvonne, don't take no mm, mm, mm. Exactly. Yeah, okay. So did that get you respect or more trouble? Both. You know, I, I carried myself in a way to command respect, but they also thought twice about pulling the same crowd. Surely that had to become exhausting. Oh, absolutely. You know, she being a being a female and an African American female as you climb the ladder can get very lonely and very tiring. But you learn how to play the game. For me, just keeping in mind my mission, my objectives, and my goals in life kept me centered. That's the biggest thing: is keeping yourself centered. When you keep yourself centered and not taking things personal. You have a, an ability to rise above. And you started rising. Started rising. So with each promotion, transfer, um, you were obviously doing better and better. At what point were you in your career when you were able to reach back and start helping other people, in particular African Americans and other women? You know, <clears throat> you mentioned earlier about all the activities, things that occurred um, during my climb up the corporate ladder. I stayed, there were many times at UPS, I probably almost quit 10 times over. But my mission to deliver was to be a role model for others that look like me, specifically uh, women and other minorities. Tell me about Rosemary Turner. Rosie. Rosie. 
You know, Rosemary, bright, extremely bright. Obviously, you've met her. But Rosemary would always, she was a challenge. She was definitely a challenge. And I saw earlier on in Rosemary's career that she had what it did, she had what it took to be successful within our environment. She would often say, um, why, why are you, I remember the first time when, uh, because I was her supervisor, and I remember the first time I called her in, we used to call them, them TLAs, talk, listen, and act. And we'd have a TLA, and then I asked her, I said, what is your problem? She said to me, my only problem is you. I was like, okay. I thought she was kidding when she told no, me that. No, this is true. My only problem is you. And I said, well, you may not see it now, but I see something in you, and I'm going to ride you until such time we get it, that you get it there. Why didn't you just throw her out of your office? Because I was looking at myself. That's very telling, Yvonne Cooper Epps. I was looking at myself. And I also knew that she had that wax on your back mentality, that she could let it roll off. Not to mention the fact that with her skill sets, her charisma, her knowledge, and her, just her uh, dependability, there were so many reasons on why I knew that she would be great for the company and the company would be good for her. Did you hire Rosemary? No. But she worked, she, I did not hire her, but I, she worked for me when she first came in to, as a clerk. And then from there, she ended, up, she ended up having to go out driving and then she was promoted. So no, I did not hire her, but I was certainly responsible for her. Hmm. So what is it, Rosemary and I talked about the silent movement, the movement involving people like yourself, who stayed at UPS despite the challenges because you were looking out for those who came behind you. And then once you identified those behind you, you made sure that they came along and did the right things to advance, right? Mm -hmm. Talk about that silent movement and who else, who are you, some of your mentors that, that, you know, Rosemary said it would be a phone call, pulling you aside, you would meet on a Saturday, but everybody looked out for each, each other. She called it a brotherhood and a sisterhood. Mm -hmm. When did you discover that and what did it mean for you? Well, I'd like to feel I was instrumental in starting that brother and sisterhood. Because keep in mind, going back to what we were talking about before, I was the first. So my mentors, my sponsors didn't look like me. So then therefore I knew we had to have something of our own. As Rosemary said, whether it was on Saturdays where you called each other, just to give that sense of encouragement, or you would, she, or she would pick up the phone and say, Coop, oh my God, you can't believe what's going on. It could be at night, and, and then there were times and we were on different, I was on the, we were on different ends of the coast, west coast, east coast. There was nothing for me to get a phone call. And when you got that phone call, you responded. It was called taking care of our own. You know, developing our own survival network. Was there a point when you got some brothers in that survival network of yours? Well, the, 
Don't get it confused. It was started by the brothers. It was started <laughs> started by Vern and then some maybe Ken Jarvis's or people who came before well, you. We, they were Ken Jarvis and that group, the Ken Jarvis's, they were actually our role models. Yeah. So it started with them and it it, it gravitated to us. They they modeled that. So were you in the 70s, 75, mid-70s, late 70s, was that a period where you started to see more women being hired by UPS in general? No, it was not until the 80s. The 80s, so you were a long time, the only one. Long time, the only one. Absolutely, the long time. I'll tell you, when I first walked into the, um, my first district in the, in the hub, in Arizona, and I'll never forget, there were, when I walked into the hub, going through, just taking a tour of what was going on, and I realized the only people of skin color that looked like me were the janitors. There was nobody else. I also recall that when I had my first interview for the staff job, and I was told that being in Arizona that there were no, there were very few black people um, that, uh, it, that lived in the area. And they said, is that going to be a problem for you? I said, right about now, the only problem, the only problem and only thing works for me is, the, is green, and that's the color of money. Anything past that, I'll deal with. So um, at what point do you, I mean, do you remember people like Bill Lewis, Dennis Obergon? Do you remember, you know, the first time you met people like that? Bill, Bill Lewis and Dennis Obergon, I really did not encounter until when I was in the corporate headquarters. Really? Mm -hmm. You didn't even know about that? No, because realize that I was promoted in 1977. It was 19 years later when I became a vice president the first female vice president in the company, 19 years later. In the meantime, you had the Bill Lewis's, the Dennis Obergons, and others that were matriculating up the corporate ladder. In other places, in but other you never places, crossed paths. Never crossed paths. Wow. Yeah. You know, the only path that, we would, that uh, others would cross if you were in the same function. Sure. Mm -hmm. Was there a time when, say, the upper management maybe came to your hub to visit and took a tour and you saw, say, the Obercotters or you saw Jim Casey? Well, uh, keep in mind, I was in staff. So the only time I would be in the hub would be walking through either doing hub, uh, hub audits or things of that nature. But to your question, I had, when I was in Greenwich, Connecticut, I had the, uh, the rare opportunity to, at that time, they would do the conferences, you know, yes. the management conferences. And at that time, I was a supervisor, and I got invited to a management conference, and a management conference that I had opportunity to meet Jim Casey. That was probably the thrill of my career, to be in a lunch environment, a lunch environment, because they had clerical people that came, to be in a lunch environment and meet him. Did he talk to you? He acknowledged me. And, and, and to this day, this is kind of, I have a picture and I cannot find it, but yes. You know, he was, a, he was a quiet man, a very quiet man, very subtle. He didn't really talk a lot to a whole lot of people, at least based on my exposure and experience. And so what was the moment like when he acknowledged you? It was pretty special. It was special 
the fact that I had, it was especially the fact that I was asked to go to a management conference as a, um, as a young supervisor. And so were you sitting, you said it was a lunch environment. They had tables. Yeah. So you were sitting at a table where you could see him. Mm -hmm. And within eyesight of him. Oh, absolutely. And did he? Because remember, I worked in Greenwich. At that time, it was the corporate headquarters. Describe the moment when he acknowledged you. What happened? Subtle. Subtle. Nothing, you know. Did he, did he just look around the room and then he made eye contact with you and nodded. He looked, he looked around the room and I think it was to, so that I would be comfortable. Because, come on, keep in mind, they knew I was going to be there. <laughs> so, you know, as to not make me uncomfortable, I, I was acknowledged. We took a picture together. So. And what did it mean to you? You said it was the highlight of your career. Like what? How often would anybody that you get to be in the company of a founder of the, of the organization. How often would that happen? I hear you, but sometimes young people don't really get it. They don't understand when they're in a special moment, <laughs> but you were not one of those. No. Yeah. No. Being acknowledged by the founder of your company, did it make you feel any, any sort of way like? It made me feel more responsible. You know, it made me feel more responsible. But did the acknowledgement itself mean anything to you? No, because I was already acknowledged before I got there, so I figured I was special since I got asked to go to the luncheon. I hear you. So you start rising, and then your career is really taken off, and you become the president of the UPS Foundation, the very first African-American woman in that role. Were you the first woman? Or just I, was the first? A, I, was, I was the first, I was the first woman and the first African-American in the, uh, in the 59 year here history of the foundation. Which was? I was the fourth president, first woman, first African-American. That was a huge splash. That was a huge splash. So. And, 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 and actually, you know, what, um, it was my skill sets on how I was identified because re if you recall, I mentioned that I had been a school teacher. The company was looking to expand the initiatives, uh, major initiatives in the foundation. I came in, expanded our uh, fight against hunger, and then also workplace and family literacy because it had been my background because I had been an English teacher. So you get put in different positions because of skill sets. And quite honestly, when I was in business development, I was in the process of going up the ladder. So when I was asked to go into the foundation, I really thought this, I'm like, wait a minute, this is gonna be a step back. This is gonna hurt my career because I was in the process of going up the ladder in business development, accepting more responsibility. And I thought that was where gonna be my growth and development as far as the vice president's concerned. But you never know when you're being watched. You never know when you're being watched. So I think my engagement in the community, my background, my education landed me in the foundation. So, Actually, when I came in, became the vice president and the president of the foundation, I led the foundation through its most 
dynamic growth and development years in the history of the foundation, expanding our global footprint, implementing our international philanthropic strategy, creating volunteer engagement programs. I was very honored to sit, have a presidential appointment. I sat on the President's uh, Council on Service and Civic Participation helping to model our great corporate citizenship. So it was huge. I think what was so great about it is I had an opportunity to do well for others as I did for myself. So it took a woman of fantastic vision, um, purpose, and, and anything else you can think of to create all of that from a position that you thought was going to be the worst career move ever. Worst career move ever. So you never know. That goes back to being your authentic self and being dedicated and putting your best foot forward. I, I had no idea. Do you remember the day you got the call for that post? The post, the number when I was in the associate director post or when I came, or when I got the call when I was uh, vice president? When you were told that you would be the Vice President of the UPS Foundation. You know what, I'm gonna be very honest with you. I felt it was about time, okay? Bottom line is, because when we were speaking of earlier, you know, there was always, I had the education, but there was always something in terms of why you would not move up the ladder. It was either time on the job, I can recall that I was told that I needed more financial background, so I had to go back to school. So I, all, I had checked all the boxes. So when I got the call, I earned it. Did you have to push for the call? I didn't have to push for the call, but what I had to do is treat the bumps in the road that were put in front of me, I didn't treat them as obstacles. I just kept checking the box. So when we keep checking the box, it becomes very difficult to defend a zero. I think Gerard Gibbons um, was talking about being in people meetings when the same experience was occurring. You know, a candidate who was twice as qualified as the person that they would want to promote. And, and he would just, everything that they would say, he'd say, they got that, they got that. You check them off, you check them off. Okay, what, what do well, they have next. to do next? Next, they got that. Mm -hmm. You know, why do you think that that is such a critical place to have representation in those people meetings? Oh, you need to have a sponsor in the room. Make no mistake about it. And that's the one key in terms of uh, uh, as you uh, move up the corporate ladder. Identify a sponsor. A sponsor that can speak for you when you're not even in the room. Speak past your skill sets and your abilities. And fight for you. And fight for you. Yeah. Did you ever have to do that for somebody? Oh, absolutely. But you know what? It was interesting. Because you don't know what you don't know until you're in that environment. And it's like, oh man, is this what's been going on? So then you begin to hold people accountable and you hold yourself accountable to make sure the right thing happens. Our company just got our first female CEO in UPS history in Carol Tomei. What do you know about Carol Tomei that we don't know yet? Well, I think what you're beginning to find when I talk about being authentic, she is authentic. 
bar none. When I met, first met Carol Tomei, it was actually in the community. This was when she had her job at uh, Home Depot when she was a CFO. I've always known her to be very um, approachable, bright, but forward-thinking. She actually demonstrated her um, sensitivity, you know, being responsible to the, being responsive to the changing times and conditions that are going around. She's always been, at least from my exposure and my experience, she's always been genuine. What you see is what you get. There's no surprises with Carol Tippett. And she also was one of those, you know, she knew her, let me put it this way, she knew when to hold, she, her, that motto I mentioned earlier, know when to hold him and know when to fold him. Carol Tumane knew when to hold him and know when to fold him. I was, I was ecstatic when I heard the news, absolutely ecstatic. And I can tell you one thing, this company will go far and be a lot further off in the area of diversity and inclusion with Carol Tumane because she was never part, she understood the good old, good old boy network because she navigated through it. It was never affected by her, but she saw it. So for those people at UPS who are fearful that this is not for real, are you, Yvonne Cooper Epps, <laughs> speaking for Carol Tomei and saying, no need to fear? No need to fear. And, and my other pieces, what do you got to lose? Certainly you're not going to go, you're not going to go two steps backwards. You probably will probably go ten steps forward. What do you think UPS's position is in the world right now, coming from the work that you did globally in the UPS Foundation? We live in times of a global pandemic. We've got civil unrest. We've got a division in our government, in our White House leadership. Um, and then the world is just changing anyway from a customer service perspective. What, what is our place in the world right now? You know, the success of UPS is, as a company, we've always, always been responsive to the changing times and conditions. It's no different now. You and I would not be sitting here having this conversation. These initiatives would not be happening. It's responsive conditions like this. The foundation, you look at the work that the foundation is doing when you look at globally, when you look at disaster relief, again, responding to the changing times and conditions. Nothing to fear. The company has always been a pace setter. That's how we become the most well-respected and admired corporation in the world. It's in our DNA. So we, we were talking about the, that good old boys network. So you're the, you're the first woman, you're the first African-American woman, two first. Were there ever times when you couldn't tell which was which? Most of the time, most of the time, because, you know, being, being the first, being the African-American woman and then being a female was, in some cases, why it was a plus, could also be seen as a double-edged sword. And also keeping in mind, because the environment were all, was a male-dominated environment, the first I felt there was more sexism than it was racism. But they're in tandem. 
they go hand in hand. So it's kind of hard to tell because you're not treated any differently. You're treated the same, whether it's racism or sexism, you dealt with the same issues. Yeah. And in 1977, so that was a few years after you'd been hired, and then you get your first transfer. Mm -hmm. Tell me about that. Um, well, in my, in my tr first transfer was in 1979, okay? And that's when, I, <laughs> that's when I, I actually left UPS. I left the company in 1974 when I lived in East Lansing, Michigan. Left the company and relocated to California and actually got rehired in 19, and then that's when, and it was a couple years after that, that I was promoted in the supervision. Was that the first time that you felt like you could start helping other people? No, because I was trying to help myself then. You know, I was a brand new supervisor, I was in the telephone center, and so therefore, um, I didn't know what I didn't know. It was an, as I began to get comfortable within my job, within my responsibilities, then I felt comfortable knowing that, because going back to what I said again, just because of the different challenges and the, and the obstacles I was facing, there are times I'm like, I do not need this. But it was after that that I developed that sense of responsibility and remembering why, that I was part of something, again, that was going to be bigger than myself. And you knew then that you were going to stay? I knew then. You know, there, were, there become pivotal moments in your life and your career. And there were some pivotal moments that I experienced that became aha moments for me to realize it wasn't just about me. But can, it was about others to follow me. Can you give an example of one of those pivotal moments? Can you think of anything? I know there were so many. I knew it was like, yeah. Uh, which one? Which oh year? Can you think of one example you can share? Um, but this is not, this was later on. I think one of the pivotal moments, when I first got my first district, I'll never forget. And I walked into the um, staff conference room, it was myself and another female. We were the first females that ever worked in a district and worked on a district staff. And when we walked in, I'll never forget, Rachi O, district uh, man, division manager, said, oh shit, I guess we're gonna have to break out knitting needles. And I knew then, I said, well, if you break them out, the only place they're gonna go is up your behind. And I realized then, of the culture that I was up against. And it was, a, here again, was an aha moment. Because I knew in terms of what I was up against. Who came after you? Um, Lisa Hamilton. Lisa Hamilton. I actually stayed an additional year because that goes back to the point when I was saying because I was told that she was not ready. You were getting ready to leave. Yeah, I was in, I was in the process of beginning to determine in, in my career. And then going back to what you were talking about in the people meetings that Gerard spoke about, and I had already identified my successor. After all, she was, had been the number two. I worked with her, I groomed her. She was the right person for, she was the right person for the job. And the one thing that I was told is she was not ready. I said, that's fine, I'll stay. And I waited another year for her to get ready or for them to get ready to have her. Our CEO, Carol Tomei, says, turn your anger into action. Was that an example of your anger in action? Absolutely. It probably wasn't an example of my anger. It was an example of my disappointment. You were disappointed because? I was disappointed because 
I knew that she was right, you know, and the fact that uh, I had to go back to her, because I can think about the disappointments I had over my career, that I, was, that I told I wasn't ready, I needed this box check, and to be able to, she did all the things that I asked her to do. And to go back to say, well, not this time. And then when she finally got it, when she finally got it, she was ecstatic. How did you feel? Um, rewarded. Because, you know, it's about legacy leadership. And if you know anything about legacy leadership, it's not about you. It's not about the legacy that you build. It's about the legacy that you leave. And for that reason, I felt good. How did you feel yesterday when you got the notice that Nicole Clifton would be ecstatic. the... Ecstatic. <laughs> I, I, I looked at going from the fact of being the, uh, the fourth president of the history of the foundation, first woman, first African-American, and now the fact with her stepping those shoe steps and having have had Lisa, we would have had three. So what if it took a couple centuries? <laughs> what do you think is the greatest gift UPS has given Averne Cooper Epps? Opportunity. The greatest gift that I have been given is opportunity. Uh, opportunity to, to work for one of the greatest corporations, but by the same token, the opportunity to live my life values, be my authentic self, and at the same time, be true to the commitment to the or and the needs of the organization. What is the greatest gift Yvonne Cooper Epps has given to UPS? Dedication, without the shadow of a doubt. Dedication over the years that I realized that, stop it for a minute. <laughs> it's okay. You tricked me, April. I wasn't ready. For oh this. no, you got I feel it. Like I'm dedication. I mean, that's life takes dedication. You know, you're either gonna get, you're either gonna be all in. If if you want to achieve some things in life, you need to be either all in, or not in at all. So you need to be dedicated to a cause and a purpose. And I think, uh, again, for me, because when you mentioned about opportunity, you know. The company gave me an opportunity to be part of something greater than myself. And so for that very reason, it took that dedication in order to respond to that. So you gave, you felt that you were giving back as much as you were getting in terms of opportunity. I was probably giving back more. <laughs> Quite honestly, I was giving back more, but you know, that's what it took. But dedication, dedication in the fact that, you know, helping to expand the, uh, helping to expand the, uh, the company and business, you know, helping to uh, increase our global footprint in terms of foundation giving, helping to be a people person, helping to help grow the fabric of our company and the, the fabric of the communities and where we live and work. We thank you. We honor you. We love you and we're so glad to see you. Thank you for coming. Thank you for having me. It's, it's been truly an honor. 
Thank you. This is Black Voices from Big Brown, the untold stories of African Americans at UPS. Black Voices from Big Brown is a production of the African American Business Resource Group at UPS. We thank UPS for its leadership, support, and courage over the years to champion social justice and reform. Thank you for listening to Black Voices from Big Brown, the untold stories of African Americans at UPS. Visit blackvoicesfrombigbrown.com for more moving success stories. So, after listening to this interview, ask yourself, did my why get answered? Do I feel something more? Do I feel a little more enlightened? Do I feel a little more empowered? That is the message that we want you to get while listening to Black Voices from Big Brown.